0: Boy, he can tickle those ivories (laughs) and sing. Tonight he'll be back with us, and we invite you to come at 6.30. We're going to open it up a little bit early, start a little bit early to get more music in tonight. And you, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. I just got back from being in North Carolina this week where I spoke at the Cove. I share a couple sessions there uh, every year, the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove. And in fact, Marty was with us in June when we were at the Cove, and he'll be with us. I just asked him before first service if he'd come and do the music uh, next time we meet there uh, in the fall of next year. And also I was at the Billy Graham crusade, the first uh, few nights of it, uh, in Erickson Stadium in Charlotte. And uh, they thought maybe the first night they'd have 45,000. They had uh, almost 70,000 the first night filling the stadium, and then overflow crowds the next night. And I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but uh, they have big screens throughout all of that area for uh, people to come and uh, hear the gospel. People are hungry for the gospel. And uh, it's just a great couple. What I loved about it is it's one of the few times I was able to sit with my wife and hear a message. Usually uh, she's sitting alone uh, as I'm giving a message, so it was great that we could sit in a service together and be ministered to. Well, Revelation chapter 6, Father, we now open up our hearts that we might learn your word. And even though these are very difficult chapters, and for some even scary chapters, we are not afraid of our future, because we know that you hold our future. And we know, Lord, where we're going, that you have a plan to redeem your church from the earth as well as judge the world. So help us, Lord, to understand and to rejoice in the day in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so grateful that God is not a politician. (laughs) God always tells the truth, not that politicians are always shady, and I don't want to uh, tread on too thin of ice here because this is a sensitive time of the year with the elections coming up. But God always tells you like it is, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, because he's not trying to get your vote. He's not trying to sway you on his side and have you vote for him as Messiah in the next election. There will be no election. There will be a takeover. And chapter 6 begins this period of history where things get very, very dark but it eventuates in the takeover of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning upon the earth. You know, it seems as we look at our newspapers or watch television reports or listen to news on the radio, it seems like things get bleaker as weeks and months go on. Just when you think it was bad enough, things get worse. A woman was in a store and she was looking at a toy that she couldn't quite figure out what it was. She looked at it. It was very complicated and She said to the salesman, isn't this toy rather complicated for little kids? And he said, well, this is an educational toy. You see, this is meant to get a child to cope and to adjust to living in the modern world. No matter how you put it together, it doesn't work. (laughs) And it seems that no matter who's trying to put the world back together, it just doesn't work. Things get bad. They're worse. Chapter 6 begins what you might call the action part of the book of Revelation. It sounds sort of like a Western as it opens up. Four riders ride their horses through town, so to speak, and they bring with them some evil tidings that come upon the earth. And you might picture cowboys riding the range as we go through this. Um, And I'll tell you right now, we're entering into some scary territory, but there's a purpose behind it. A cowboy was applying for insurance, and he walked into the insurance agent's office, and he went through the routine questioning. The agent said, have you had any accidents in your life? He said, no, I haven't had any accidents. He said, though, a steer kicked me in the ribs once and broke two of them, and a rattlesnake bit me on the ankle. And the agent said, well, wouldn't you consider those accidents? He said, no, I think they did it on purpose. (laughs) And you might think, going through the book of Revelation, this is just haphazard, random accident. No, there's purpose behind all of the judgments. Well, let's read the first eight verses. That's what we're going to deal with today. The four riders that come in this chapter. Now when I saw, or I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal... I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. In chapter 1, we see the vision of the Lamb in glory. In chapters 2 and 3, we see the churches of the Lamb, seven of them. In chapters 4 and 5, we have the glory of the Lamb in heaven before the throne. And in chapter 6, all the way now through chapter 19, we have the wrath of the Lamb. And it gets pretty severe. And you will notice that these judgments are progressive, and they intensify. There are seven seals that are broken, and each seal has a judgment. The seventh seal ushers in seven more judgments called trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet judgments then usher in seven more final judgments called bowls of wrath that are poured out upon the earth. It's the complete judgment of God, and when all of these are finally poured out upon planet earth, then it's over. When the last bowl is poured out, Judgment has finished. God has finished judging the earth. And then comes the takeover. When Jesus returns and ushers in the millennial kingdom, not the millennial falcon, the millennial kingdom, a thousand years of peace upon the earth. Now, I want to give you, since we're starting chapter 6 this morning, sort of a chronological development of these chapters, sort of an outline for you. There is a chronology, there is not a haphazard smattering of events. Chapter 6 begins with the opening of seven seals. But there's an interruption in chapter 7, a parenthesis, you might say. And in that parenthesis, extra information is given to fill in the gaps and the questions. Then the next chapter, chapter 8 and chapter 9, resumes the chronology. As trumpets are blown, and each trumpet brings a judgment. But in chapters 12 through 15, there's another parenthesis. Additional information is given. Then the chronology continues once again in chapter 16, as the bowls of wrath, or the vials of wrath, are poured out upon the earth. But then there's another parenthesis, and that's in chapters 17 and 18. Special information is given. Then chapter 19 continues and concludes with the wrath of the Lamb, And uh, that's the chronology of these chapters. Let's begin with looking at how this tribulation begins, how it commences. I want you to notice the word when, W-H-E-N, in verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And again in uh, chapter, uh, verse 3, when he opened the second seal. In verse 5, when he opened the third seal. Chapter, uh, verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal. I draw your attention to those words because it's a very specific when. It's a special time in history called the tribulation period. It is a when that is unlike any other period of history. The world has not yet seen it. If you think it's been bad in the past, it can't hold a candle to what's coming. It's a very dark period. Now think for a moment of all of the dark periods in history that you can think of. Perhaps you think of, well, the Dark Ages. That was the age when enlightenment and progress was sort of stifled. We think of the Civil War in our country, or World War I, World War II, when nations of the whole world were embattled against each other. We think of the Great Depression, perhaps. But all of those were troublesome times, but again, they pale in comparison to what is coming. I don't know if you knew knew this or not, but more space in the Bible is given to the tribulation period than even the second coming of Christ. It's written about in more places throughout the Scripture. It's called the tribulation. It's called uh, the wrath of the Lamb. It's called the day of the Lord. It's called the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, There's many names given to it. Let me give you a smattering of descriptions of this day. Jeremiah predicted it in chapter 30, verse 7. He said, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel 12 tells us, There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Jesus said in Matthew 24, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. That's quite a statement. He said it's the worst period of human history. Now, you might look around at the world today and say, could it get any worse? It's pretty bad right now. How could it possibly get any worse than all the revolutions, war, terrorism, carnage? Well, you read the book of Revelation, and if you've read it before, you know there's things like fire, lightning, smoke, heat, darkness, beasts, falling stars, earthquakes. In uh, Revelation 16, heaven and earth are shaken to the core. In Revelation chapter 3, the whole human race that are left upon the earth during this time will be affected. Not one person will be unaffected by this tribulation period. In chapter 12, the devil and his angels are seen as cast to the earth where they wreak havoc. In Revelation 6, people hide in caves and under rocks from the wrath of God. In Revelation 16, unclean spirits gather men together for the battle of Armageddon. It's bad, really bad, as we're going to see as we go through these chapters. However, if you're a believer this morning, you don't have to be afraid. Now, I know there's various views. Of the tribulation and the rapture. But I'll tell you, I am not looking for the tribulation. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. Everybody's out trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come, not the Antichrist. Jesus will come, and if you know him, you'll be with him, as John was caught up into heaven. And he sees these things from heaven looking down, not from the earth looking up. That's where you'll see this tribulation period, if you belong to Jesus Christ. But there is today in our world a groaning, so to speak, this undercurrent of expectancy that I think we've never really had with such intensity as we have today. A writer from U.S. News and World Report, David Lawrence, wrote, a climax of some kind seems to be approaching the world over. I'd agree with that. A polling was taken of people under the age of 30. And they asked them about the future. Almost everyone who was polled, the majority said they believe that they will see an all-out nuclear exchange coming very soon, certainly in their lifetime. These are people who day in and day out live with somebody could push buttons soon and affect the world. The Prime Minister of Canada said, we are teetering on the brink of disaster. Well, the period is called the tribulation period, and we begin, I believe, seeing that in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at those verses a little closer and see what I call the triumphant counterfeit in verses 1 and 2. When I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see, I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. If you went to the store and you tried to pass off a twenty dollar bill with the face of Bill Clinton on it or Senator Dole on it, I want to be very bipartisan here, you wouldn't get very far, would you? If you wanted to pass it off, you would at least superficially make the counterfeit look as much like the real as you can. Well as the first seal opens, there is such a good counterfeit that some commentators say that this is Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's riding a white horse. Remember the westerns, Uh, the good guys were on white horses, the bad guys on black horses. The good guys wore the white hats. John Wayne, I think, had a light colored hat. He was the good guy. Well, if you want to rob a bank then. You're going to get on white clothes, a white horse, and a white hat. Because at least in the black and white movies, nobody would suspect you. If the writer in these two verses is Jesus Christ, we have a chronology problem, and we have a a purpose problem. It doesn't fit within the purpose of the tribulation. It would seem odd for John to be raptured up into heaven, see the glories of the Lamb, and then have the chapter open with the Lamb, Jesus, opening the seal and then saying, just a minute, getting on a horse and riding out into the world only to be followed by death and destruction. It doesn't fit. We do see Jesus Christ on a white horse in chapter 19 when he comes back, not to start war but to end war. But I believe this is not Jesus Christ. In fact, I'd like you to turn with me to chapter 19 for just a moment. And let's look at Jesus Christ coming after the tribulation is finished. The great thing about chapter 19 is we don't have to guess who it is. The names are given. Verse 11, Now I saw in heaven, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of a fire, reminiscent of the vision in chapter 1. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his right, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, you see the difference there. The uh, writer in chapter 19, Jesus Christ, the word of God, faithful and true, King of kings and Lord of lords, he's called, has many crowns on his head. The word in Greek, diadema, the diadems, many diadems. This is the crown of a sovereign ruler. The crown of the one in chapter 6 is the Stephanos in Greek. It would be the crown that a runner of a marathon would get, a little laurel wreath, a temporary victor, a crown that would fade. Moreover, in chapter 19, Jesus Christ has a sword that he goes after his enemies with and puts war completely out of the picture after this. Whereas in chapter 6, the writer has a bow, not a sword. There's no arrows with them, but he comes with a bow. The first mention of bow go, takes us back to the book of Genesis, a guy by the name of Nimrod, the mighty hunter who defied God and was the first world monarch. And he set up the Tower of Babel, which eventually became Babylon. Also we read in Ephesians, chapter 6, that we should take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. What would those arrows be shot with? Metaphorically, a sword, uh, a bow. So I don't think this is Jesus Christ. This is the Antichrist with a good mask, on the white horse, with a little white necktie and the little white hat riding through town. So people think, the hero has come, the Messiah has come, one who will come to bring peace. The Bible tells us that he will come and he will bring what no ruler has ever been able to bring, world peace. Now, it won't last long, but he will bring this semblance of peace until three and a half years are finished, the middle of the tribulation period. He takes off his mask, and everybody sees that he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. So clothes don't make the man in this case. He might look like the right one, but he's not the right one. He's going to help the Jews rebuild their temple. He's going to get a confederation of ten nations, the Bible tells us, that will give him political power, military power. By the way, when you think of the Antichrist, people tend to think of this ghoulish creature with horns. I think he'll be very good looking. I think he'll be very appealing to people. I think the world will want him. They'll look at him and think, finally! Somebody who will fix things around here. Somebody who will tell us the truth, our friend, the one who will bring peace to the world. One commentator said he will have the oratorical skill of a John Kennedy, the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill, the determination of a Joseph Stalin, and the vision of a Karl Marx. He'll have the respectability of a Gandhi, The military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, the genius of a King Solomon. But he will be designed to be a counterfeit second coming, the Messiah to replace Jesus Christ. In the middle of the tribulation, he'll come at a time of peace, bring peace. In the middle of it will come the abomination of desolation. Daniel spoke of it, Jesus spoke of it. He'll take off the mask. And the Apostle Paul said of this man, He opposes and he will exalt himself above all that is called God. And he will be demanded, he will demand that people worship him worldwide. There was a man who was on an airplane as I was this last week and yesterday afternoon. And uh, the airplane got up off the tarmac and took off the runway. And it was at cruising altitude and they brought by the food which I think is sort of an oxymoron, airplane food. But nonetheless, they brought him the food. And it was all wrapped up in the little cellophane. And he opened it up and was about to eat his salad, but he noticed this huge honking cockroach sitting on his salad. Yeah, that's what he said. He was appalled. He would need it, of course. You lose your appetite when those things happen. When he got home, he wrote a long letter of protest to the president of the airlines, thinking, Ah, they won't do anything with this. He got this letter back from the president. He said, Dear sir, this was very unusual, but don't worry. I want to assure you that this particular airplane has been fumigated. In fact, all of the seats and all of the upholstery have now been stripped out. We've taken disciplinary action against the stewardess who served you that meal, and she may get fired. It's highly probable that this particular aircraft will be taken out of service. I can assure you that it will never happen again, and I trust that you will continue to fly with us." This man was very impressed. Wow, just a letter did all that. That's pretty amazing. These are great guys. But then he noticed, attached to this little response letter was his original letter that just accidentally got stuck to it, and he turned it over where he had written the letter of protest at the bottom of the letter. In ink were written the words, reply with the regular roach letter, (laughs) fumigated, out of commission. You know, the Antichrist will come and he'll have great words, and people will go, yes. I like this guy. I'm impressed with this guy. But he'll be dishing out the same old stuff, the same old jargon that the devil's been dishing out for many, many years. And yet many will see him as the ultimate leader, the Messiah. They'll be taken by him. Jesus made a frightening prediction. He said to the Jews of his time, I have come in my father's name and you did not receive me. Another will come in his own name, and him you will receive. I think he was speaking of this world ruler, the Antichrist, who will sway the nations, and especially the nation of Israel. They will say, finally, Messiah has come. You see, it wasn't Jesus the first time. This is our Messiah. That's why when I go to Israel and I stand there right in front of the western wall, with all of the Jewish worshipers and the Dome of the Rock on top of the Temple Mount, and you're surrounded by the Jewish quarter. I get excited but a little scared when I read signs, and you can see them if you go today. Huge banners on the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem that says, get ready, the Messiah is coming. Well, which one? Who are they looking for? An article from Christian Century citing what Jews in Israel were saying said, quote, recent world events such as the fall of the Iron Curtain, the influx of Ethiopian and Soviet Jews into Israel, and the Gulf War is evidence that Messiah's arrival cannot be far off. The Wall Street Journal was interviewing Moshe Schloss in Jerusalem. And he said, what's going on now is like, listen to this, labor pains. It looks pretty messy, but in the end, what will come out is a new and a living light. The Messiah may be just an eye blink away. Now that rabbi used an interesting phrase. It caught my attention when I read it. This is like labor pains. Paul the apostle said this, when they say, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This Antichrist will come on a white horse and sway the world. Folks, Satan is a fake. He's an imitator. He was the one who said in Isaiah, I will lift my throne above the stars of God, and I will be like the Most High. I want a little notoriety around here. I want a little worship. And the Antichrist will be his man, his Messiah, his Christ. And just like there were magicians in Pharaoh's court who could duplicate the tricks the miracles of Moses with their own little tricks this guy will stand in the court of world politics and world economy and world military arenas and he will perform tricks miracles but he will be demand he will demand that people worship him all of this however is going to backfire he's going to come with a peace plan however we read here that three more riders follow him Peace, peace, I come with a bow, there's no arrows, peaceful takeover. But then suddenly war comes, and famine comes, and widespread death come over all the world. It's going to backfire on the world. Oh, this is our man. Oh, no, he won't be. Like Jimmy Brown. Jimmy Brown found out when it was too late. A little poem says, shed a tear for Jimmy Brown, poor Jimmy is no more for what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. That's sulfuric acid, I believe. There's a big difference between water and acid. It might look the same, but you drink it and death happens. They will take this antichrist to themselves as ruler, but then sudden destruction will come upon them. Well, let's read about this sudden destruction. Beginning in the next verse we have the tragic consequences that follow this antichrist. Now, let me interrupt this for just a minute. Jesus was asked a question by his disciples, and I think we should sort of remember it right about here. Jesus predicted the end of the world, and the disciples said, well, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus listed several things that if you put them here, fit. He said, first of all, many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. There will be spiritual counterfeits, and it will culminate in the ultimate counterfeit, the Antichrist. The second thing he said is, there will be wars and rumors of wars. And that's the second horse that we read about in the next few verses. The third, he said, there will be famines, and the black horse is the horse of famine. And fourth, there will be pestilence, and there will be earthquakes in different places. And that's the widespread death, at least part of what it's talking about in the next verse. Well, let's let's look at this second horse in verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. Now, red is the color associated with terror and carnage. At least in Revelation, we see a red horse here. We see a red dragon in chapter 12, and in chapter 17, a red beast. All of them are not good. It's the color of terror. It says in verse 4, It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Our methods of international peace, the United Nations the people that we send across the world to negotiate peace will ultimately fail. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. This is just the truth. It will ultimately fail. There will come a peace, and people will say, see, the bumper sticker's worked. (laughs) But it will be very short-lived, and all the visualizing world peace will not help as the second rider comes in on a red horse. And brings in war. You know, um, every candidate that uh, I've read about, political candidate, promises peace. Vote for me and I'm going to bring peace. That's what we need. And this world is in a bad place because of the other guy. And after World War I, uh, the presidential candidate said, if you vote for me, never again will our troops have to go overseas and fight a war. Then World War II happened. Another war subsequent to that. And then as soon as the bombs were dropped, the president who dropped them started talking about peace. You say, where is the peace? Well, actually, if you tally up history, 8 percent only, only 8 percent of history has been a time of peace. The rest has been a time of war, 8 percent. There's been more war than there's been peace as long as man has been on the earth. In 3,100 years, 8,000 peace treaties, formal agreements, have been broken. Now we've always had war, but Jesus said it will be like a woman giving birth, that wars will happen with more frequency and intensity. We watched the Gulf War on television, and I stayed in the Al Rashid Hotel in Baghdad last year where CNN filmed all of what you saw. And we saw how a war can be very intense, how just in a short period of time we can muster so much firepower, smart bombs to hit their targets that just can wipe out a military army. But is it getting more frequent? I wanted to read an article I found from USA Today. Richard Starr, international studies director at the Hoover Institute of War, Revolution, and Peace in Palo Alto, California, said, quote, There are more wars with more people killed all over the world than ten years ago. True, it's been several years since the world major powers last bombed and shelled each other, but on any day soldiers are firing in 30 to 40 nations or more. Wars of liberation, territorial disputes, religious principles— The Center for Defense Information estimates that the number killed since early 1970s is at anywhere from a conservative 4.5 million to a more realistic 7.1 million. Body counts vary. But most participants agree peace is unlikely. The bottom line is this, 1.56 billion people One in three of the world's 4.84 billion people, now this is an article written a while back because there's now about six billion people on earth. One out of three live in lands enduring armed conflict. What's ahead? Starr says, regional conflicts will only increase. Now that's not even to mention drug wars, gang wars that claim 22 million Americans every year, 22 million. That's within our borders. And it's going to intensify in the tribulation period. Let's look at the next horse, the black horse of famine. In verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. At this point you'd say, No, I don't want to see any more. So I looked, and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine." War and famine go together. When war breaks out, if there's bombs involved, food supplies are contaminated. Jesus said, There will be wars, and there will be rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, and there will be famine but what a famine this is. A quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. At that time, all of the world relief will fail. It will take a working man a day's wage to buy a little over a loaf of bread. Famine will get worse. But notice that there's no scarcity of oil and wine, which are idioms for the rich. The rich get richer while the poor gets poorer, and the middle class falls into the poverty class. In the tribulation the already poor conditions of the earth will be heightened. Now we don't see it in this country as much, living in a middle class country. What we call poverty here is very, very different from what I've seen in many countries. One third of our world is well fed. That's us. Another third of our world is poorly fed. Another third of our world is starving to death daily. Four hundred and sixty million people are on the brink of starvation daily, one report says. Now that's only going to intensify. Now what factors would add to this condition besides war? Let me give you a few factors. Oil in the Middle East. You know, when somebody seizes oil or oil prices go up, it, it is a big deal. You know, for us it's just an inconvenience. You know, some people say, the oil, it's unimportant. Well, just think about it. For us it's like, okay, a few more cents at the gas pump. But think of those people living in already famine conditions, where they need oil to run tractors to work in the fields with their crops, and oil for fertilizers. You increase oil prices and it could kill more people. Very very critical. And then there's pollution, chemicals, acid rain. Science tells us that food today has less nutritional value than the same food twenty years ago. Then there's population. You know that it took from the beginning of history to 1850 to produce one billion people? That's a long time, from the beginning of man to 1850. But it took from only 1850 to 1930 to produce two billion. From 1930 to 1960 to give us three billion and only fifteen more years, up till 1975, to give us four billion. Now there's about six billion people on the earth, and there's an exponential increase of people, which means conditions will worsen. That is just fact. Add to that a fourth factor, tribulation. And antichrist turned wild, bringing in carnage and war, and perhaps even nuclear war. Do you remember Chernobyl? When that explosion happened at that plant up in the Soviet Union, cows that produced milk in Europe were contaminated. They had to throw away milk in Europe. Imagine what nuclear bombs would do if they were released to different parts of the earth. Then there's the fourth horse, and we'll conclude with this, the widespread death, pestilence. Verse 7, when he opened up the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And, of course, there has to be a command because John wouldn't want to anymore. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill them with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Can you imagine? A fourth of the world's population, well over a billion people being killed. It goes from very bad to worse. The result of famine is death on many fronts. There's actually kind of four things that will contribute to this over one billion people being killed. Notice sword, hunger, death, beasts. With famine comes malnutrition. With malnutrition comes the breakdown of the immune system. And I found something interesting here, it says, uh, people will be killed by the beasts of the earth. Now, I don't know what that means, maybe beasts will attack people at random, perhaps. But I was reading an article the other day in the Charlotte Observer, how scientists are very heightened, they're frightened now because people are not donating their organs when they die, corresponding to the number of people who need them who are alive. And so scientists are turning to animals to take the organs of monkeys and baboons to transplant them in human beings. Well, you can see the problems that that would create, viruses, bacteria. They said the thing that scares us the most is a strain of the Ebola virus being transmitted from animal to human. Or the simian immunodeficiency virus, which is very similar to AIDS in in human beings. Scientists are afraid of this. Widespread death during this period of time. Now all of this was unthinkable. If you were to read this and have a sermon like this a hundred years ago, I think people would sort of be amused at best. Unthinkable that you could have weapons of mass destruction a hundred years ago that could ever produce something like this, even eighty years ago. But today it's not unthinkable, it's very real, it's at our doorstep. Now, I want to sort of close with a, uh, a prophecy. The guy who wrote this, said this, didn't know he was prophesying. But it's very profound. It was written in 1860 by a French chemist, a scientist named Pierre Bercelt. He said, quote, within or inside of one hundred years of physical and chemical science, Man will know what the atom is. It is my belief that when science reaches this stage, God will come to earth and he will say to humanity, Gentlemen, it's closing time. He said that in 1860. He predicted the unleashing of the atom and that God will have enough and say it's over. Well, chapter 6, we see the curtain sort of closing, the first part of that closing scene. Closing time started. Now I realize this isn't the kind of a message that you can say, gosh, that comforted my heart this morning. I'm going to memorize those passages and make them my life verses. But I'll tell you this, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I don't look with fear to the future. It's scary now. It will get scarier. God has the future. It's under control. Satan will come in, he will bring in all of this carnage. God ultimately is overseeing it as sovereign God, as a means to purge the earth and judge the earth. But you know what I take rest in today? The word antichrist instead of Christ, against Christ. Contrast the antichrist with Jesus Christ. Think of that as you leave this morning. Everything the antichrist is, Jesus is not. And everything the Antichrist is not, Jesus is. The Antichrist is a fake. He's an imposter. Jesus is called faithful and true. You can rely on him. The Antichrist brings a false peace, followed by war and destruction. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. He will give you peace even when circumstances around you are chaotic. In the wake of the Antichrist comes famine and death. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger." The Antichrist will be everything the world says it wants. Jesus Christ is everything the world truly needs. And you might say, I don't want Jesus. You're set up for this guy who's coming. The good news is, is that those who know Jesus Christ not only have this peace, but are saved from the future wrath. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. I rejoice that I'm found in Jesus Christ. He's everything I need. He's everything you need. And maybe you don't know him personally today. And I'm going to ask you after this service if you'd go to the prayer room and meet with some of the pastors and counselors and give your life to the Prince of Peace. Father, we thank you for the Word of God so plain and clear. So many times the Bible predicts a coming world ruler who comes with a peace plan, with great swelling words, who brings nations with him and controls their military, their economy, who comes with a way to heighten economic prosperity in the world with a mark. And yet he's a fake. He's an imposter. Thank you, Lord, that we know the true and the living God, the real Messiah. Lord, I pray that not only would we as believers daily commit ourselves to Jesus, but Lord, that many here, in reading of the Antichrist, who don't know You yet, would surrender their life to the real Christ, to Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. And we pray. Amen. And we pray. Amen. And we pray. Amen. And we pray. Amen.